Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that as you listen, you will be encouraged in your journey and that your relationship with Father God will be strengthened and deepened. Here's this week's message from Pastor Chris. Well, in God, the joy that we have far exceeds and far surpasses any joy that the world tries to give us or that the world promises us. In God, we have way more. And this morning, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to ask, what is the more that God has for us? And let's, you can turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Psalm 16. And the verses will be up on the screen. I'm going to read uh, Psalm 16, verse 4. This is what it says about the joy that the world can offer versus God. It says in Psalm 16, verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And it's not saying like, you know, if you are of any other religion or you pursue anything uh, other than God, you know, you're non-Christian. It's not saying you're always going to be sad. The point is with the sorrows multiplying is you won't be satisfied. You're chasing after the wrong thing. You can keep digging deeper and deeper, but it'll never satisfy you. But yet David says in Psalm 16 verse 9, here's how, where he talks about the true joy that we have. I'll read 9 and then 11. It says, my heart is glad. So as for me, though, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So this topic of joy is huge in the word. It's huge for God. And I'm going to talk about two realities of joy. I'm really just going to focus on these two realities. The first one I'm going to call the oil of gladness joy. Okay, I made this name up. It's not a theological name. The oil of gladness joy. Hebrews 1.9, it says this, and it's talking about Jesus. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So the Bible's showing us Jesus had massive joy. God anointed him with the oil of gladness beyond anyone else. And now what about for us? You know, is is that just for Jesus, but for us it's way less, you know, because he's God? No, not at all. Not at all. In John 15... Jesus now talking. It's an awesome chapter where he talks about that we abide in God. And then at the end in verse 11, 10 and 11, he says this, if you keep my father's commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and I've abided in his love. So Jesus is saying, I have a path before me and you come after me and you do the same thing that I do. And then look at what he says. These things, so everything he's spoken to his disciples, I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So let's connect those two verses that we just read because we just read that Jesus has been anointed with the oil of gladness beyond anyone. That's his joy. And we just read that Jesus' will, his desire, is that you would have his joy in you. And that your joy would be full. My joy would be full. That's good news. Isn't that amazing that Jesus shares with us? He brings us in. Do you want more joy? Anybody want more joy? And to glorify God by living a life filled with joy. 
You know, when the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us, he doesn't just fill us with his power at work in our life. And he doesn't just fill us with truth. He does those things, but he also fills us with joy. I love this verse in Acts 13.52, talking about the disciples. It says, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit as they went out. See, because joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's the second one on the list in the Bible. So this joy that we have in God, we got to understand this though. At a foundational level, here's what we have to know about joy, is that a huge part of it is that we are made to delight in God. It's one of the biggest purposes that you have on earth that he made you for is to delight in God as he's delighting in you. And that's like, we can talk about that and we've heard people say that, we've heard it preached, but we're going to pause for a moment. Do you know that God delights in you? Do you know? Do I know? Right? It's important to think about. I love Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So as far as it goes for God, when he thinks about you, it's like he's ready to have a party. That's really what this means. That's what the text is trying to tell us. He is ready to have a party when he thinks about you. And that's huge. Because the reality of that, you know what that means for you? It means that you're significant. It means that your value and your importance is in God. Right? So you have significance and you have importance simply because you were born. Nothing you've done after has added to it. Nothing's taken away. If someone said, if every day of your life, someone said to you, you have significance, you have significance, you know what? It didn't add anything to the significance that God puts on you because you're his creation and he made you. And on the flip side, if every day of your life, someone says to you, you don't have value, you don't have significance, it changes nothing about the importance that you have. Anyone want to just like raise your hand to God and say, God, I thank you that I'm important to you. Isn't that good? Guys, you're important to God. I'm important to God. Singing over us with loud singing. If you struggle with the, the idea that you are important to God and that he delights in you, I just want to encourage you today. I just want to encourage you. He is fighting harder than you are fighting for you to grow in that revelation. He wants it more than you. He wants to win your heart. He's on a pursuit for you to know that you matter and you're important. You're important to God. One of the, my next point here, one of the biggest ways that we rejoice in God and that we have joy in God as believers is through worship. Isn't that true? Did you guys enjoy the worship this morning? It was beautiful, eh? And the thing is, for us to have joy in our worship, we need to worship, as the Bible says, in spirit and in truth. We need to not worship always in strength. And by that, I mean, it can't, we can't just always be forcing, you know, trying to enter into worship in my own strength. It has to be spirit and truth. The Holy Spirit revealing to you and to me what he's done in my life, what he's done, and how he's been there for me, how he's changed me. The Holy Spirit revealing that and revealing who God is. And then as you behold God, you respond in worship. That's worshiping in spirit and truth. 
And none of us would do this on purpose, and it's not a bad thing, but sometimes we look at the stories in the Bible where it talks about how worship happens in heaven around God's throne, and sometimes we look at those stories and we, we don't maybe, maybe realize it, but we kind of distance ourselves from this reality of like all these beings around the throne of God and they're all just bending over like, you know, like, you know, you're worthy to receive power. You're worthy to receive glory and honor. Holy, holy, holy. And we kind of distance ourselves a bit and we're like, I'm sh- I know God is amazing, but what I'm reading here seems a little bit robotic. It seems a little bit like I- heaven's so beyond me. I don't even know how to grasp what it's like. But here's the thing is that we got to get the culture of heaven. This worship that's in the culture of heaven, we got to grasp it. It is full of emotion. And not, I'm not talking about crazy chaos. Often full of emotion is just to sit with God in the truth of who he is. But the culture of heaven is that worship is full of emotion. It's not robotic. Okay, can we understand that? In the Old Testament, Isaiah has this vision of the throne room and there's beings all around the throne and they're worshiping God and they're saying, holy, 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 and they're worshiping God. And here's the thing, 200 years later, Daniel has another vision of the same thing. And he's not seeing the throne as it was in Isaiah's day. He's seeing the throne 200 years later and the same thing is happening. In Daniel, it says there's hordes of people around the, I don't think it says hordes, but there's throngs of people around the throne and they're worshiping. And another 634, to be exact, years later, the apostle John in the book of Revelation, he sees the throne. I believe it's Revelation 5. He sees the throne and the elders are around the throne and the people are there and they're casting down their crowns and they're worshiping. And if we have a view that this is robotic, If we have a view that it's dead worship, we would never say that. But if that's our view because we don't know the culture of heaven, then we can't prepare ourselves for heaven. We can't be excited for the worship that we're going to have for eternity. But here's what heaven is like. Wow. I almost said here's what heaven is like. Here's what I believe heaven is like, okay? It's a lot more like God is revealing himself day in and day out. He's saying, my child, when you were on earth, your best friend over there, this is how I connected you. This is how I used my power to turn things and tweak some things and you guys connected together and you're getting a revelation from it. This is how I brought you together as a husband and wife. This is why I gave you this child. Isn't she beautiful? This is why I gave her to you. Or my son or my daughter, you were in bondage to your addiction and I was holding you in my arms the whole time. And as you were sinning against the laws that I made for your good, Jesus and I were here in heaven and we were interceding for you. And we were saying, how can we show him grace? How can we show him mercy? And the beings before the throne are getting this revelation of God, of the reality of God in their life. And they're throwing up their hands and they're saying, how is that possible that you're this amazing God? How is it possible that you are this awesome? You are so good. And they take their crowns and they're casting them down and they're saying, Lord, you're so good. We have to fall again on our faces. This is the culture of heaven. And did you catch what I said before? Did you catch what the Bible says? Isaiah had a vision. 200 years later, Daniel had a vision. 630 years later, John had a vision. And the same thing was happening around the throne. 
So that means that God is eternally showing his self and his revelation to us, and he's eternally showing his goodness and revealing more and more each day. So what that means is that, let me ask you a question when we focus on that, what scripture says. Can we worship him for eternity? Who thinks we can worship him for eternity? Is he that good? And I got a question for you. Is the worship before the throne of God, is it blah or is it filled with joy? It's filled with joy. So we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. So I said, like the first reality of, wor- of um, joy that we're focusing on is this oil of gladness. Jesus was anointed above all people. He wants us to have the same anointing. We got to know that he delights in us and we're made for joy and pleasure. And then we need to experience that joy through worship. Let's go on to the second reality of joy that I want to talk about. And bear with me with my name that I gave this, okay? Just bear with me because it might not make sense at first, but it's really going to hit home in our hearts. I'm calling it the man of sorrows joy. Because there's this thing with Jesus that he's told, we're told he's anointed among, above everyone else with the oil of gladness, and yet he's called the man of sorrows. So which is it? Is Jesus glad or is he full of sorrows? Well, what we find is that Jesus has a joy that fills him with gladness and a joy that overcomes sorrows. So this joy is an overcoming joy. We're going to read in Isaiah 53, we're going to read just three verses where Jesus is called the man of sorrows. And I'm going to ask you to really pay attention because this reality, as we talk about this joy and what it really means, this will change your life. So I'm going to ask you to pay attention. We're reading verses 3, 4, and 5 in Isaiah 53. Verse 3 says this, talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. What that line there about hiding their faces means, it's talking about how we treat him. It's not actually saying that people hide their faces from him. According to a lot of scholars, most that I saw, they think that it means how we treat him is we treat him as though he would want to hide his face from us because we've shamed him. And of course, God never needs to hide his face. Jesus never needed to hide his face. But if we treated someone else the same way, they would want to hide. If we were passing by me on the street, they would hide their face from me. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You know, when, when I read this verse, what jumped out at me, what jumped off the page, was that in one verse it says twice that we despised Jesus. And think about that for a moment. Like, imagine if you, I don't know, came here or went home or to work. Imagine if you walked in and you're despised by someone. Imagine how that would feel for a moment. Imagine if you're despised by many people or by everyone. Imagine how that would feel. And we don't even understand the significance of it because Jesus lived in an honor and shame culture. We don't. In the West, we live in a truth and innocence culture. The honor and shame culture is, means that honor is the highest value. And the last thing, the thing that you never do to somebody else is you never shame them. Never. In the West, honor is treated differently. 
We live in a truth innocence culture where we're more, our culture's more focused on I'm right, you're wrong, so I can look down on you. In an honor-shame culture, they're not interested in that. So did you catch that? The last thing you ever do is shame someone. And let me read verse three again. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We treated him like as though we were treating someone who would need to turn their face away from us. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's how we treated Jesus. That's how people treated Jesus. So now let's, let's read on the next two verses and let's see what did Jesus do? Did he turn around and flee? Did he go some, to just go and heal after he was crushed? What did he do? Did he, like this is the Jesus whose feet are like bronze, his tongue is like a double-edged sword, his eyes are like fire, and his mouth is like many rushing waters. This is the Jesus that could breathe and destroy all of his enemies. So let's see what he did. What did Jesus do in response? And guys, this is the part that will change your life. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed, him, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. How is that even possible? How is it possible? Every arrow is being pointed at Jesus. Every arrow is flying at him. And yet he turns around and he doesn't retaliate and he chooses love. And he goes way beyond just loving those of us that despised him. He goes way beyond that. He actually serves us. And he actually sacrificed. Like for me to be healed by his wounds, that's a sacrifice. He did it. How could the world ever say that God is not love? Ever. It's beyond an abomination to say that God is not love. Jesus didn't look for his joy in his relationships with people. He didn't look for it in the comforts that he had in life. He didn't look for it in the praise of people about whether or not they liked him. They didn't like him. They despised him. He didn't look for joy there. He looked for joy in God. And because of that, he could love, serve, and sacrifice. And the key is the joy that he had in God. Because we know that because it says in this next verse, Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy of Father God set before Jesus, he endured being crushed. Despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And in Nehemiah 8 verse 10, there's this amazing, um, amazing famous passage, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we see that this man of sorrows, woman of sorrows, joy, we see that it's an overcoming joy that empowers us to love and to serve and to sacrifice. Jesus, he sacrificed in two major ways. Like he sacrificed by coming down to earth, humbling himself. And he also sacrificed, of course, by dying an unimaginable death on the cross. And here is 
the heart of that sacrificing. Here's what it is. If you take away one thing from this message that asks you to really pay attention to this or write this down, this is the sacrifice that Jesus made. He let go of the things he loved to embrace the things that he loved even more. He let go of the things that he loved. Like he loved, obviously, being here on this earth, enjoying the pleasures before God, right? He was anointed with oil beyond anyone. And he let go of the things he loved to gain the things that he loved even more, to gain the hearts of his lost sheep. He said, I came for the broken. I came to call them home. That's the thing he loved even more. And if we get that, then we can sacrifice too. We can have a joy in God that's an overcoming joy and we can serve and we can actually sacrifice for the very people that hurt you. The very people that spoke about you. The very people that put you down. The very people that looked down on you. You can love them with an Isaiah 53 love if you have an overcoming joy. Anybody want that joy? I want that joy. In my younger years, everyone would say and remark, man, Chris, you're always smiling. Chris is a kid. He was always joyful, always smiling. And three weeks ago, it was so interesting in my devotions, the Holy Spirit said to me, said to me, Chris, do you know that you're a man of sorrows? And I was like, what is that? What is that? What does that mean, God? He just said, Chris, you're, you're carrying the burdens that I'm asking you to carry. You're carrying them. And, and it's okay if even people are coming to you and saying, you know, Chris, in the last few years, I haven't seen you smile the same way. It's okay because a man of sorrows or a woman of sorrows, there's a deep joy on the inside that goes way beyond smiling. Yes, there's happiness. All the time there's happiness. But there's a deeper joy going on inside of us. And I don't know if you're here and you say, yeah, I've been a man of sorrows, or I am, or a woman of sorrows, just like Jesus, where you've been through hard things and his joy is taking deep root in you and it's growing. But that's my prayer for all of us, that we would have both of these joys. Here's the last thing I'm going to say. I'm going to kind of end on this. Um, If we want to have the joy of the Lord, we have to know that the Christian life is an adventure. We have to. I remember about 15 years ago, the first time I went on a, uh, you know, I had like an adventure moment with God. I'm sure there were others, but this was one of them. I was on a city bus and sitting across from me, there was a lot of people, but Lord pointed out to me one person and said, Chris, I want to talk to you about this man. I felt the Holy Spirit said to me, his name is George. He's a pastor and he's very discouraged. And I want you to go and encourage him. 15 years ago, I was like, his name is George? Like, I was like, really? I got to go talk to him? Like, that's hard. Maybe you're awesome at that. I'm not, okay? <laughs> I'm not. Uh, it was hard. You know what? 30-minute bus ride went by, and I didn't break the ice, and I didn't go talk to him. And then he got up to get off the bus. And the Holy Spirit said to me, get off the bus. And I went, well, there's an idea. I was in, a, I was in Guatemala. 
I did not know the area where I was getting off. I didn't even know if there was another bus to take me back to the village I was trying to get to after this bus. I got off the bus. And I remember him walking away, and I'm kind of coming up behind him. And here's me, right? I'm so green. I'm so naive. I literally had one question in my pocket. What's your name? Like, that's all I thought to come out. So I was like, excuse me. Hey, what's your name? And he turned around and he said, George? And, like, I was kind of like this. I was kind of like... this really works, right? And he's kind of like, is this gringo on something? <laughs> I didn't know what to say, so I said, hey, what do you do for work? I'm a pastor. And I'm like, this really works. He said, my church is right across the street. Why don't you come and we can talk? And he told me all of his discouragements and I got to pray over him. And, and guys, here's my question for you. As I was on the bus back home, do you think that I was sitting there going, man, this Christian life is so blah. Do you think I was doing that? I was like, that was so cool, God. The Christian life's an adventure. And it's going to look different for all of us. I don't know what God is doing or where he has you. But it's an adventure in your home. It's an adventure in your work. It's an adventure because you're a child of God. I'll share just a few more stories, but I got to say this. I got to say, you know, I can share my testimony and I could hear yours some other time, but when you hear testimony, don't put people up on a pedestal. Don't say, oh, pastors do that. Don't do that. Take the pedestal and kick it down. Pedestals are distraction, right? God is working all of our lives. I guess for my wife and I, the journey we've been on, it's been about a year and a half we were praying, God, we want to have more inroads to non-believers. Like I said, this whole thing of like engaging with people, um, like I'm not great at it. We want to have more inroads. Lord, give us some more opportunities to get to know non-Christians. And praying, and I'm telling you, when you pray, things stir inside of you. How many of you know that? When you pray, God is stirring things. I can recall there were times where I was at Superstore, just going in and down the aisles, I know I have a grocery list, I know I do, but he asked me, just go in and down the aisles and start praying. There were times where I was in aisles where there was not a lot of people, and I was weeping. Fire in my bones! And I was like, God, this has been stirring in us for a year and a half. We want to see movement, we want to see breakthrough. I was saying to God, God, these people who don't know you are going to hell where the fire never dies and the worm never ceases, or whatever the verse says. So God, there's tears of the saints for the lost and the unsaved. Amen? And I can think of in December, a couple months ago, we, just, we went to Union Gospel Mission with a couple of our neighbors that lived beside us. They had kind of made plans. We were going to go and lead a service. I was just there. We went and, and to my total surprise, he collided me with two very needy men who had just become homeless, just lost everything in November. And I was just talking to one of them. Hey, what's your story? I was just listening. And within one minute, he was, head was on my chest weeping in my arms. 
that God, God moves, guys. As we move, God moves. And I, our family has to go to Winnipeg every week for tongue-tie appointments most of the time. And as I've been going to Winnipeg and I've been meeting with these guys, I'm not doing much. I'm opening up the Bible reading. I'm not doing much. But what I found over and over is they're saying, Chris, I don't get it. It's unbelievable. We're just reading the word and I'm filled with a warmth I've never felt before. I'm filled with a peace I've never felt. Because, see, and I'm just marveling at God, but here's the thing, is that there's one unstoppable force in the world. One, only one. The will of Father God. Nothing stops the will of God. So when his word to you is, go and love your kid, go and love your coworker, go and love your sister or brother, when that's his word for you, how many of you know you have the authority and the power to, to live out that word? How many know it's true because the will of God is unstoppable? And when Jesus says, he says in Matthew 28, 18, listen, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So not half of the authority. Heaven and earth have been emptied out of authority and power and it's been given to me. And I'm giving it to you and I'm saying, go make disciples. When Jesus says that, how many of you know we have the power and the authority to go and make disciples? Isn't that true? And here's the thing is when Jesus, the Bible says when Jesus went preaching, he was preaching the kingdom of God is near. So can you answer this for me? Who came near? What came near when Jesus was preaching that? And the answer is Jesus. And when he sent us out, when he sent out his disciples in, in Matthew 10, it describes it, in Luke 9 and 10 and in Mark 6, he sent us out because he has all authority. He says, go where I send you and preach that the kingdom of heaven is, is near or the kingdom of heaven is here. Go and preach that. So my question for you is when we're going and we are engaging with our coworkers and our family and our friends and non-believers and, and we are talking to them and getting to know them and we're there full of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of heaven is here, my question is who is there? Who's drawn near? You and me. So if we get this reality... What it actually means is that you carry the kingdom of God with you when you go out according to his will. Did you hear that? When you're going out according to God's will, his unstoppable will, you carry the kingdom of God with you. A couple weeks ago, um, I was here in Winkler, asked, just praying, going deep in prayer, Lord, I have a bit of time before prayer summit. I want to go do some conversations I have some errands to run. God, where do you want me to go? And Lord, every store I go into, the person behind the counter is a woman. I want to talk to a man. I want to talk to a man. I was praying deep, and the Lord said to me, open your eyes. And in the parking, I was in this small parking lot, and within one minute, five cars pulled in at the exact same time, and you're kind of like, how do they even do that? Five came in at the exact same time, and in each car, a single man got out, and they walked towards the same store. And then another car came rushing in to, the, like, the one or two empty spots left. Another car came rushing in like he was late for something, I don't know, and a man got out, and he ran towards the store. All six of them were walking in the store at the same time, and my jaw just dropped, and the Lord said to me, Chris, you walk in my spirit, and you will see miracles. And I went in the store. Lord, I know which store you want me to go in now. 
Lord, who do you want me to talk to? He highlighted someone. And I said, Lord, I'm asking you to put me beside that guy in line. Because like I said, breaking the ice and talking to a stranger, it's never going to be easy. Don't wait for it to be easy. Just blow past it. Do it. Lord, put him beside me in line. Guess who was beside me in line in a busy store? And within one minute, I had his phone number and then we went out for coffee and connected together. Guys, when I was driving home, do you think I was sitting there going, blah, this Christian life is so blah. No, the Christian life's an adventure. You guys want to live the adventure? Two weeks ago, my, my son, uh, Aaron, he's 10, we were doing some errands, and I said, Aaron, which store should we go to? Ask the Holy Spirit. And he said, okay, let's go to this store. And I said, okay. So we went there and walked in the store, and my person behind the counter, like we were getting whatever we usually get from that store, and, and then I just said, how are you? How are you doing? And she said, today has been the complete worst day of my life. My sister is due with her baby in two months and the baby's deformed and she's in the hospital. My sister's in the hospital now. I don't know if she'll make it out alive. Well, can we pray for you? How do you feel about that? She said, sure. I looked at her and I said, my son was told by God that we had to come to this store. We were not coming here today. And now I know the reason why. Do you think I felt joy after that? Isn't God so good? And you guys have stories too. You have your testimonies. I've had multiple moments like that where with my kids in the store and either in the van or like even right in the store, I've just looked at my kids and said, the Lord just prompted me to look to my kids and say, is God real? And they're just like, we got to get our kids involved in the joy. Isn't that true? Luke 15, 7 says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to. Here is just briefly seven amazing ways to surround yourself with joy. Surround yourself with God's presence and with his word. Word and power. Surround yourself with those things. Surround yourself with people who are worshipers because they're going to influence you to worship God. Surround yourself with people who stand on their own two feet with God because as they are being fed by God, as he's feeding them, you're going to feed off what they're getting too. You're going to be nurtured by it and edified by it. Surround yourself with people who are far from God that you can reach. And lastly, surround yourself with ways to serve others and surround yourself with fun and play and all the good pleasures that God gives us to enjoy. Lord, we just want to thank you for the joy that you've set before us. And I want to ask that you would help us to walk in that because you have more for us. Let's respond in worship. Amen. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.